I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. Will Republicans retake the Senate in 2014? What will happen in the House? What's the latest in 2016 presidential politics? People who want to stay ahead of the curve in politics turn to our good friends at the Cook Political Report for answers. For more than 30 years, Charlie Cook and his team have nailed the nation's most important election outcomes and political trends. CBS News' Bob Schieffer calls the report, quote, the Bible of American politics. Nate Silver says few have, quote, a longer track record of success. If you make it your business to know politics, you need to subscribe to the Cook Political Report. Head over to cookpolitical.com slash political wire. That's cookpolitical.com slash political wire to sign up today. And now to our conversation. If there's one state where politics never turns off, it's Iowa. And while preparations for the next Iowa caucus seem to start the day the current caucus ends, there is, perhaps, a more interesting new development on the Iowa horizon. For the first time since 1984, the state is about to elect a new senator. With Senator Tom Harkin's decision not to run for a sixth term, Iowa is suddenly another key player in the biggest theme of midterm 2014, the battle for U.S. Senate control. How is the state leaning? Could the seat actually be up for grabs? And who will represent Republicans, a pig-castrating gun-range-visiting state senator or a former Fortune 500 CEO who has returned to his home state to try to steal victory? Few follow Iowa politics more closely than Radio Iowa News Director Kay Henderson, who, as her bio points out, was born on Election Day. Kay, thanks for joining me. So is there such a thing as a political off-season in Iowa, or are you guys always on? It's a 24-7 business here. <laughs> and, and you get paid like it's 24-7, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a full employment uh, program for political journalists. <laughs> Terrific. Well, what will it be like in, in Iowa without uh, Tom Harkin as senator? I mean, what's crazy to me is he's served since 85, elected, of course, in uh, you know November 84. But he's still the junior senator from Iowa. Right. How do you serve it's- five terms, uh, yet you never graduate beyond junior senator of your state? Well, you want to get even crazier, Chuck Grassley, who's the senior senator whose term is up in 2016, has already announced he's going to run for re-election. Boy, <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> just to scare off all comers, will, will anyone uh, no, no, will anyone run against him? He won't get anything on the Republican side. I don't. Uh, he has uh, no. He he, he li- likely, most likely, more than likely, will not get a challenge from a Republican, and uh, the Democrats have not uh, challenged him seriously in the past. Okay, well, we'll we'll uh, give you another ring uh, at that point for sure. <laughs> what about Harkin? I mean, is he is he still popular? Could he win if he ran? His decision announced in January of last year that he would not seek re-election in 2014 was a real surprise to Democrats. They had expected him to seek re-election. He's, uh, if not the most popular Democrat in Iowa, among the most popular ever. Um, He has a campaign machine in every county, and he's trying to sort of turn it over to an heir apparent and Congressman Bruce Braley from Waterloo, the only Democrat running for Harkin's seat. So let's talk about Braley. Can he do it? Sure. Beg pardon? Let, let's talk about Braley. Can can he do it? I mean, is he – so if, he's, if, if Harkin would like him to be the heir apparent, first, you know, why? What is it about him? Do, do, and do Iowans think of him that way? Can he fill Harkin's shoes? Well, uh, the Iowa political landscape is sort of littered with people who have worked on past Harkin campaigns. Braley is among them. 
Uh, I think that Republicans see an opening here against Braley in the general election because they view the 2014 campaign as sort of a referendum on the Affordable Care Act, whether or or not whomever their nominee may be. And then uh, folks may have also seen a Braley gaffe where he was uh, videotaped uh, giving a, a fundraising pitch to a group of trial lawyers in Texas, and he said uh, some what people are interpreting as disparaging things about Senator Grassley. Yeah, I, I've got the quote down here. I saw that as well. <laughs> you might you might have a farmer from Iowa who never went to law school, never practiced law, serving as the next chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee. I mean, within Iowa, explain it to us outside of Iowa. What, why was that kind of so offensive or potentially offensive internally there? Well, as everyone knows, Iowa is a farm state. Chuck Grassley is the most popular Republican in Iowa. It would sort of be like criticizing the now very popular Pope um, in that sort of context. And it also sort of revealed that Braley may say things in private that necessarily he wouldn't say in public. He would never say that in public. And he personally apologized to to Senator Grassley. And I'm sure that Iowans will be seeing this uh, snippet of video on their television screens in the general election. I mean, does it shock you as much as it shocks me? Will will people finally understand there is no private, what you say in private, someone is recording it. (laughs) There's an iPhone, there's a I mean, whatever device, no sponsorship endorsements here. I, know. I, but, I don't talk about things when I'm standing in line at the Jimmy John's or <laughs> wherever I may be because I know that everybody has a digital device and we live in a digital world. And the fact that a candidate who um, was allegedly as experienced as Bruce Braley made this sort of freshman mistake has been really surprising to Democrats. And so what about his... Not so much maybe his politics, but his policies and his stand and the way he would potentially represent Iowans. Are on those in those areas? Is he seen as someone who can you know carry Harkin's mantle forward? Or, or right, are there... he is he is sort of the embodiment of the Tom Harkin progressive agenda. Braley has worked within the so-called progressive group in the U.S. House of Representatives. And so he has branded himself as uh, Harkin. He has said that when he steps into the Senate, he wants to fill the Harkin shoes with the same um, ideological perspective that Harkin has brought to that um, seat for so long. And is the progressive strain still as strong in Iowa? Is that, is it, is that mellowing at all, or, or is it stronger? And maybe we can dovetail from there into uh, the Affordable Care Act and how that's playing you know, in, uh, within the state as well. Well, Iowa has a progressive streak that, that stretches in very strange ways. For instance, Chuck Grassley did not vote for the first Gulf War when George H.W. Bush was president because there's a strain among Republicans and Democrats and independents in the state that are very wary of um, military engagements overseas. So um, this progressive streak can be found in either party. Um, however, Republicans are not, <laughs> as you would expect, appealing to that sort of um, agenda right now. They're all appealing to a very uh, conservative base. They're focused on things like gun rights 
And uh, as a matter of fact, as you mentioned, uh, Joni Ernst, one of the candidates, is currently running an ad that Iowans are seeing on their television sets where she's actually firing a gun at a gun range. Yeah, no, I I, I saw it. That one's got about 100,000 views on, <laughs> on YouTube and, and her pig castrating video. And just to be clear, she's only talking about it. There are no demos in the in the ad. Exactly. Um, that, that's got about half a million YouTube video uh, views as of, uh, you know, when I when I looked you know, just before this this phone call. So let's turn to the to the Republican side. Uh, I guess five folks are running, but you know everything seems to point to it's uh, you know Joni Ernst, uh, the state senator, um, against Mark Jacobs, former CEO of Reliant Energy. Most polls show to seem to show either one up a, a point or two, um, and they have such different backgrounds. Talk to me about their backgrounds and how each one um, would kind of play within Iowa. Ernst is a member of the military. She had a military career, and now she's currently in the National Guard, so occasionally she goes on active duty. She's also a member of the state Senate. She's been a local county official elected at that level. So she has an experience in electoral politics and campaigns. Mark Jacobs moved back to Iowa after a career out of state. He worked for places like Goldman Sachs, and his last stop before retirement from the business world was at Reliant Energy, a Texas company um, that was uh, going through the throes of bankruptcy and which he touts as uh, experience that needs to be taken to Washington, D.C. to help um, emerge the federal government from a sort of bankruptcy, if you will. He was able to quickly introduce himself to Iowans because he ran a lot of television ads and he ran a real heavy spot load on radio. And that is how he got his name around the state. In addition, he's sort of seen as the establishment candidate, although Joni Ernst has the endorsement of Mitt Romney and has some of the Romney apparatus as part of her team. Mark Jacobs, on the other hand, has been endorsed by Doug Gross, who's who's a well-known Iowa political insider. He was the Republican Party's unsuccessful candidate for governor in 2002. He's a former chief of staff for Iowa's longtime, maybe governor for life, Terry Branstead. And, and so this has been an interesting race in the respect that those two have been the most visible candidate. If there might be a sleeper candidate in this race, it would be Sam Clovis. He was a supporter of Rick Santorum. And so he is trying to reach into that uh, Santorum network that still exists in Iowa after Santorum's, you know, just barely losing and then just barely winning the 2012 Iowa caucuses. And that's significant because there are two other candidates whose names I haven't even mentioned yet. And in Iowa, we have this quirky law that says to be the winner of a party primary, you have to get at least 35% of the vote. And with five candidates in the race and perhaps three, uh, two two at least, maybe three being very competitive, reaching that 35% threshold is difficult. If you don't reach it, then the party nominee is chosen at a statewide convention. Yeah, so explain that to me, because I I, I read about that as well. First, I guess one issue, the convention date was pushed by about a month uh, in from uh, mid-June into July. And now it's been pushed back. Oh, and now it's been pushed back. Okay. Right. Uh, And uh, no no one called me and and told me that. Okay. (laughs) So, So talk to me, though, about the 
controversy there? Why why did it go forward? Why did it come back? And and could this you know if this does go to a state convention? And I think I saw where it would be the first time in in years where that had occurred. Who does that seem to benefit? Does that benefit you know Ernst? Does it benefit you know who's maybe got more of an internal political network? I would assume. You tell me if I'm wrong. Would it uh, you know help Jacobs, who you know former CEO Goldman Sachs has you know much more money can really can launch a, I, I would assume, more of a moneyed right. attack. Um, and he has uh, dedicated uh, the largest personal fortune to a can- campaign than any candidate in Iowa history. He's already spent, based on the most recent reporting, $1.5 million of his own money on the race. Yeah. So in terms of it going to a state convention, which I, I you know, I think would be hard. I mean, it, just judging from the polls, it's not looking like as of right now, either one of the two would get above 35 um, percent. Who, who's favored in a state convention? Well, the other wild card in this is there could be another candidate chosen and, and could step forward at the state convention. The delegates aren't necessarily bound by the candidates who are on the primary ballot, although history has shown that uh, the party people do select from among the candidates who are on the ballot. Is there someone... the timing of the convention yeah. that you asked about yeah, earlier. Sure. Um, the former chairman of the Iowa Republican Party guy named A.J. Spiker, part of the Ron Paul campaign network for the Iowa caucuses, moved the convention date to July, and the critics of that move said it was just because of this very reason. He was anticipating a state convention to nominate um, a candidate for the Republican Party to run on the U.S. Senate ballot, and they were trying to organize behind a Ron Paul-affiliated candidate. After much criticism, including criticism from the top elected Republican inside the state, Governor Branstad, uh, the date was moved back to mid-June, where it has been traditionally held. Uh, and A.J. Spiker is actually no longer chairman of the Republican Party. He um, resigned maybe a month ago uh, to join the RAND Paul Political Action Committee. Wow, they uh, all all the names continue to to to, to be the same. <laughs> the White House, don't yeah, they? yeah, it all leads to the White House, and and that's one thing I want to ask you about as well. Of course, can't talk about Iowa and not ask about 2016. I want to follow up on something you said a moment ago about um, the endorsements and and for Ernst, and you know, ask you a little bit about Tea Party versus establishment within Iowa. I want to ask you as well about Branstead, and uh, you know, perhaps. Governor for life, uh, you know he, he was there before, and he's he's back and again. He's, yeah, and he's running for re-election. This yes, year. yep, and running for re-election. But first, I want to ask our listeners kindly for their help with an important survey we're running at Political Wire. As you know, the Political Wire podcast is free for download. Please help us keep it stay free for download by completing a short anonymous survey. It'll take no more than five minutes. Your answers will help match our show with advertisers that best fit the sensibilities of our podcast and listeners like you. Now, any listener who completes the survey will be entered in an ongoing monthly raffle to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Of course, we promise not to share or sell your email address, and we won't send you an email unless you win. But we really appreciate every one of our listeners, and we really would appreciate your help. Please go to www.podsurvey.com slash wire. That's www.podsurvey.com slash wire to take our survey and get a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. We thank you again for your support. 
Kay, I wanted to ask you, follow up on one of the questions, uh, one of the points you made earlier on the endorsements. And Joni Ernst, the state senator, you mentioned she has the uh, endorsement for Mitt Romney, right? Did I hear that right? And Sarah Palin. And Sarah Palin and Marco <laughs> Rubio. So so right. on the one hand, you know, kind of establishment, hard to get more establishment than Romney. Obviously, you know, hard to get more Tea Party-ish than Palin and uh, and Rubio. So is she bringing that together? And talk to me if you would, because as I've been talking to folks in, in various states, I'm trying to get a sense of the Tea Party versus establishment tension does it still exist within various states? So how is that all playing out with Joni Ernst, with her endorsements, and, and what would happen vis-a-vis Jacobs? There is a tension within the party uh, among the various factions. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're trying to, if you will, bury the hatchet because it's been a very public war here. The two factions that have been fighting most vociferously are the Liberty Movement, the Ron Paul and Rand Paul folks, and the so-called establishment, the moderates. But there's also a Tea Party element, some of whom are affiliated with the Liberty Movement, um, others of which are motivated um, by action in Tea Party groups around the state. And you do have in Sam Clovis a candidate who, at a debate in late April, broadcast statewide on public television, say you cannot be too conservative. And that is what moderate Republicans tell reporters is their greatest fear is that they will nominate someone who is too conservative for the general election. And that's why um, the establishment is sort of split at this point between Mark Jacobs and Joni Ernst. Iowa's lieutenant governor who ran as a team with Governor Terry Branstead has endorsed Joni Ernst. So there's sort of this backdoor idea that the Branstead apparatus supports Ernst. Uh, it's just an interesting dynamic where you have all of these people sort of lining up in various camps, and but not coalescing behind a single candidate here. Although, if I'm interpreting it correctly, it feels just from what you're saying like Ernst has the widest range of endorsements. I mean, Palin to, to absolutely is that that's how it's feeling there as well. Absolutely. And then we have a Tea Party favorite in uh, Congressman Steve King, who's widely known across the nation. And he has sort of given his tacit endorsement to Sam Clovis. He appeared at a Clovis fundraiser uh, last week while, while not actually endorsing Clovis. Um, so you have a really interesting dynamic. And how is Jacobs on the stump? I, I ask because I haven't seen Ernst on the stump, but I have watched the ads. And you know, she comes across very, you know, very well, I think, in my view, in these ads. I mean, obviously, they're ads and they're practice, but mm-hmm. she feels very comfortable in those ads and, and authentic to, to who she is. Um, is that true? Am I reading that correctly? And, and then Jacobs is a, you know, former CEO. Um, how, how is he on the stump and, and in, in whatever retail politics are important in Iowa? Well, as someone who's been covering politics since the mid-80s in Iowa, the thing that is most interesting about those two candidates is how controlled their message is. Mm. They give the same message to just about every audience. And so they're very controlled candidates. And if you are someone who works in their apparatus, the surprises that are coming are coming from from outside. They're not surprises being generated by the candidate, him or herself. Okay, let's uh, let's talk for a moment quickly about uh, the governor's race. Is there anything to discuss, or can we chalk this one up for Branstead at this point? <laughs> 
It, it looks like uh, Governor Branstad uh, will have an easy election because the person who has emerged as the only Democratic candidate is not known at all outside of Des Moines. Um, but Branstad is sort of embroiled right now in some management controversies at the state level. And so time will tell whether those, uh, you know, sort of cement themselves in the minds of voters as a problem. Yeah, our journalists, I guess that story was about uh, potentially or some allegations about possibly paying some employees to stay quiet. Well, they did actually pay employees extra in exit settlements to keep the details of the settlement secret. So Democrats have obviously labeled that hush money. Right. And and just your sense as a journalist there and someone who's covered this and knows Iowa for for so long, is is that the type of thing that can have legs or will it matter if there, you know, if there's a there there, then it'll have legs. But at this point, what I hear from Republicans is their main concern is that Branstead is not taking this seriously enough, that he and his staff are not pushing back uh, more strongly against these allegations and that they just consider them to be not important enough to spend a lot of time refuting. And what about money? As we look at uh, the governor's race and the senator's race, um, Braley, big fundraiser, I I saw where he raised a a great deal of money in the 2012 uh, uh, representative race that he was in. Um, Obviously, Jacobs. As you're seeing money, are are you seeing money come in? And what about outside money? I mean, in many of these other states, particularly ones where there are tight Senate races and the Senate control and is up for grabs. Um, you're seeing AFP, the you know Americans for Prosperity, uh, the Koch brothers pack. You're, you're seeing uh, Harry Reid's uh, Senate majority pack getting involved. Are you seeing outside money uh, flow into Iowa at this point? In the Republican Senate race, there have been only two outside groups that have dumped money in ads uh, prior to the primary, and they're known by the names of American Heartland and Trees of Liberty. Um, so not very much is known about those two groups, but they are both targeting Mark Jacobs, um, attacking him for statements he made as a energy company CEO about cap and trade, and also targeting him for um, supporting in the past Democrats like Arlen Specter with his campaign donations. I mean, Trees for Liberty, I love the names of the, I mean, who could be against either Trees or Liberty? I mean, no, <laughs> you have to support, I don't know what, you know, you, you got to look into what they actually stand for, but, you know, hard to be against Trees or Liberty, just right. on the and, face of it. Right, and I, I think for some Republicans, one of the main attractions for candidate Mark Jacobs is that he can spend his own money, because not only is there a U.S. Senate race and a statewide governor's race in Iowa, but there are two competitive congressional races in Iowa, which will require um investment on campaigns. And so I think one of the selling points for Jacobs is his ability to raise money, some of it from his own bank account. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great place. It's an easy place to raise from it. Uh, <laughs> it, it you know, you don't have to have too many conversations. I, exactly. I, I asked earlier, just, I wanted to follow up on, uh, the, you know, just turning to issues for a moment. Um, the Affordable Care Act, how is that playing there? Do, is, is that some, you know, is that a real issue, you know, what's the, what's the approach? I mean, obviously, I know, you know, and you mentioned, uh, I think you mentioned, but in uh, um, Ernst's, uh, Ernst's uh, shooting ad, you know, one of the things she's taking aim at is, is Obamacare, and she's going to shoot it down. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, but how is that, you know, do, how is that playing in Iowa? Well, there's really no daylight among these primary candidates on that issue. 
it's mainly about personalities in this primary battle. But in the general election, they're all sort of already characterizing this as quote-unquote Braley care. Um, many of them often mentioned that when the House passed the bill, Bruce Braley was the last person to speak before it passed. Um, so they're preparing to make this a referendum on the Affordable Care Act. It just isn't a huge issue in the primary because there's no daylight among them. Obama may want to start calling it Braley Care as well. <laughs> I think anything he could do to change the name, he, he probably would embrace. A any other issues? I mean, how, immigration, which you know historically is something of an I don't know that people you know necessarily recognize that about Iowa, but uh, with immigrant uh, farm labor and, and meatpacking labor, you know historically that's been um, something of an, an issue in the state. Um, any other issues? Uh, uh, gay marriage, medical marijuana, things that we should be looking at there. Well, interestingly enough, in this past week, one of the candidates who we have not mentioned by name, Matt Whitaker, came out as, as uh, calling for an end to the renewable fuel standard. As you may know, this is a standard which requires a certain amount of ethanol and other biofuels to be produced each year. Yeah, always big in Iowa, of course. With <laughs> and, the it's, and it's uh, sort of, uh, you know, an untouchable topic. You have all of the state's elected officials from Governor Branstead, Senator Harkin, Senator Grassley, all um, advocating for continuing it. Um, whereas Whitaker supported candidates in the last caucuses, Tim Pawlenty and Rick Perry, both of whom uh, spoke about eliminating it. So there is an element within the GOP that you know, wants to get rid of all subsidies. And so this is a play to, uh, you know, make a last-minute pitch to those folks that he, among the others, um, would be interested in getting rid of it. The other candidates all support it. Yeah, I would have to imagine that's the third rail of Iowa <laughs> politics. <laughs> uh, so let, let's uh, let's close out with uh, 2016, because really it's it's never too soon to be talking about 2016. I, Absolutely. No, I mean, I probably should think up a follow-up question for 2020 as well, but uh, I'll give you a moment on that. Uh, let me start, I guess, only because he just got himself involved in the Senate race with the endorsement of Ernst, Marco Rubio. Does anyone there care that he came out with that endorsement, or is that all about Rubio trying to start positioning himself uh, for 2016? Well, you have a group of senators, Rand Paul, Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, and Marco Rubio, who've spent time here. Marco Rubio helped Governor Branstad raise campaign cash, and so they're all positioning themselves to perhaps run for president. And then you have a group of governors. You've got Rick Perry, who was here this this. Uh, year already. Scott Walker in neighboring Wisconsin and Bobby Jindal from Louisiana all trying to stay engaged on what's going on here. You have the 2012 Victor Rick Santorum endorsing a candidate in, in a congressional race here, spending time reconnecting with his network of supporters. So you do have a whole crew of people who are coming to Iowa, staying connected with Iowans in some way in hopes of just adding water and starting a campaign uh, as soon as the ballots are counted on election night. Are any of them, I mean, is the strategy for any of them or to, to try to, you know, somehow lock Iowa down early? I mean, it's got to be it's got to be a strategy on the one hand, but obviously impossible on the other hand. That's a lot of names you just mentioned. Right. And we haven't even mentioned Jeb Bush, who yeah. said he'll be here for a Branstead fundraiser. 
Uh, many people don't realize he was here in 2012 right before the election, but he did not allow the media to record what he said in Sioux City, and Sioux City is in the northwest part of the state, which is a huge Republican stronghold. So they're all making steps to shore up um, their positioning in Iowa, and, and that's why you have people like a Marco Rubio saying, okay, I should play in this race just to get my name out there, because frankly, people don't go through this list of Republican candidates and say, oh, well, there we go. Now that Rick Perry has endorsed this guy, I'm going to vote for him. Endorsements don't mean very much in terms of changing voters' minds, but they do keep your name as a potential 2016 candidate out there in the public discussion. And can I be as bold as to ask, is there any momentum going in any direction at this point vis-a-vis uh, -vis these names, or it's still kind of a muddled mess? It's muddled. I, I would say that, you know, last October, Ted Cruz came here at a at a fortunate time for him and that he was seen as sort of the champion um, leading the charge against uh, the Affordable Care Act. Rand Paul is trying to convert his father's network of supporters here to his own. And in addition to that, expand beyond to um, evangelical Christians and others who are important segments of the party. And uh, quickly, Democratic side, she finished third in 2008. Uh, what's uh, Hillary standing in the state? Well, the ready for Hillary folks have already been here. They're ready. There are, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. Uh, there are also, uh, among Democrats, some angst that she hasn't come here, some expectation that she will. Um, if Iowa nominates um, a couple of Republican, I mean, uh, a couple of women to run for Congress, there's an expectation here that she might come and campaign for those women. Um, and then you have people like Montana's ex-governor, Brian Schweitzer, who came here last fall. I don't think any Democrat thinks he may be a real candidate, but there is sort of building an anti-Obama a sentiment among Democrats where he hasn't lived up to the vision that they had for an Obama presidency. And he really articulated that when he was here. That's fascinating. So, so after, you know, I mean, he obviously he won uh, in 2008 and Iowa was so mm -hmm. big for him in 2008. Um, and 12. He won and Iowa in 2012. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But it's the, it's the same thing that Republicans went through. This was the point in the George W. Bush presidency where Republicans were ready to say, okay, let's have a divorce. I'm done with, with George W. Bush. Let's move on. And so this is a, this is a natural evolution of the party to start saying, okay, it's time to think about the future. I'm not real happy with what um, our current state of affairs is. Let's look elsewhere. And, and that's... Yeah, I'm sorry. On the Hillary front, I just wanted to follow up on, on that. I'm sorry to have cut you off there. That's okay. Um, uh, is her, her staying away, do you view that more as, you know, if she were to go there, the minute she steps a toe into Iowa, it just sets up, it's like she can't touch the state because it would just set off, you know, such coverage. It would be and a such, nuclear blast. Right. So is that, is it, Iowa. is it viewed more like that or, or are folks starting to think, wait a minute, is she taking us for granted? I think there is a segment of Democrats who think she is taking Iowa for granted. There's been a lot of media attention in the past about how unhappy the Clinton campaign was in 2008 with the way that the caucuses turned out for them. I think that the Clinton campaign um, may actually be weighing whether Hillary Clinton comes to Iowa in campaigns in earnest or maybe skips Iowa and goes directly to New Hampshire.
Well, just uh, one of many things to be watching in Iowa with a active Senate race, uh, perhaps not such an active governor's race, and the always-on, 24-7 presidential view. Uh, Kay Henderson is Radio Iowa News Director. Uh, She follows uh, Iowa politics 24-7 and probably more than that if she could. Um, Kay, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It was fun. Thanks. Thanks. I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations.